Proverbs chapter 11, and we are looking at uh, verse 12. Let's read uh, beginning at verse, uh, or we're looking at verse 13, but let's read beginning at verse 12. He that is void of wisdom, labe heart, despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. The person who is uh, uh, foolish, the person who has no character, that individual will uh, speak out, slander, uh, gossip about his neighbor, despise him, belittle him. But the man of understanding uh, holds the judgment, holds back, and uh, doesn't say anything. Now connected to that is verse 13. A talebearer, a gossip, one who is uh, a false witness, revealeth secrets. But he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Now, the talebearer uh, is the one who is the uh, spreader of a scandal, the one who who tries to uh, uh, put the other person down by. Uh, by speaking against him. So there's a, uh, there's a link here, verse 12 and verse 13. Uh, the man void of understanding with no sense belittles his neighbor and he goeth about as a talebearer to destroy his reputation. The wise man is perhaps privy to the same information, but uh, he's quiet about it. And uh, because he's of a faithful spirit, he conceals it. Over in Proverbs 19 and verse 11, it says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. When an individual has keen understanding and is really able to have insight into uh, the, the other person and his need, uh, he doesn't hastily uh, get upset at what the other person does. He defers his anger. He puts it aside. And uh, it's the, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. And you see, Scripture says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. When it comes to your sin, you are, are told not to cover it. You've got sin in your life, you reveal it. You admit it. Get, uh, deal with it. But when it comes to the sin of the other person, though Scripture makes very clear that confrontation is correct, and proper procedure, according to Matthew 18, you first of all go alone to your brother. And uh, if, if this matter is, is not settled between you and your brother, uh, then it's important to call some of the leadership of the church together to go and approach him. Uh, the, the, the thing about Matthew 18 that a lot of people miss is uh, that uh, when God tells you to go to that person, he asks you to bring with you neutral witnesses. And they'll hear the matter. They'll hear your side. They'll hear his side. And they're always the danger in a thing like that is they may find you guilty and him innocent. And uh, one of the reasons that people, uh, that people uh, don't like to uh, follow church discipline is because they're often caught in the web because maybe there's part guilt on both sides. And the, the neutral witnesses, with their objectivity, often will see fault on both sides and insist that both of you uh, get right with each other and each get right the part where he was guilty. And, uh, and then if you, neither one of you will do that, then you tell it to the church. 
And that means that you go the third step, the third level of church discipline, and uh, you bring it before the, before, uh, the ecclesiastical body that's involved. And so a lot of people don't like to even go the first step. They'd just rather tell others and destroy the other person's reputation. And what's being taught here is that it's important that, that you not blab off everything you know about other people. Uh, again, we saw uh, last week, judge not that you be not judged. Get the mote out of your eye, or the beam out of your eye, before you start working on the mote in the other person's eye. He that is without sin cast the first stone. Now, you've got enough guilt in yourself that if you begin uh, uh, talking about the other person's guilt, it'll not only reveal your lack of character, but it will, uh, it will bring uh, shame to you because you may be guilty of the same thing. That's what uh, Paul said in Romans, Who art thou that judgest another? And then doest the same things that you're judging in other people. You have to be very, very careful that you follow through on, on this whole matter. It is a glory to pass over a transgression. That does not mean that it is right to cover sin. That it's right to, uh, to, to uh, cover a crime when another person has committed a crime uh, and you're responsible by the law to report such a crime and you cover it. That is not a glory. And Scripture makes that very clear. But it is a glory for you to handle it biblically and to handle it rightly. And that's basically what we're talking about in this text as well. Now the word for talebearer is the word R-A-K-I-Y-L, Rakil. It means a spreader of scandal. It's from a root that means to trade or to peddle or to travel about. And uh, the idea is that a talebearer uh, does not keep something to himself, nor usually even between himself and another but rather he travels about. Uh, even if he doesn't physically travel about, today you don't have to, you've got telephones, uh, and uh, uh, so therefore you don't have to physically travel about. The idea was that you become the source whereby the rumor travels about. And it's very, very easy to drop a word at the right time to the right people and suddenly have a scandal on your hands. Suddenly, uh, 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 have an exaggerated story. We used to play a little game called Pass It On where uh, one person in a long line, one person would whisper something to the second person and the second person would then uh, paraphrase that and say it to the third person and the fourth and the fifth. When you got to the end of the line you didn't even recognize the story anymore because the people had passed it on. And that's what happens a lot of times. And it's funny because it never seems to get smaller. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Everybody adds their own little embellishment. And uh, you, you can exaggerate the truth tremendously by passing it through many hands. If you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, then you'd better be quiet. That's the idea. A, trans, uh, a, a tail bearer. Now, let's just look a little at what Scripture says about the tail bearer using this particular word. Look at Leviticus 19. Now in Leviticus you have the Levitical order. You have the, the ecclesiastical order of the nation of Israel. You have a portion of their law. And there's a great many provisions in chapter 19 of Leviticus. It teaches uh, respect to authority. Uh, in verse 3 and verse 4 they forbid idolatry. Uh, clear down through uh, uh, verse 8. And then uh, it talks in verse 9 about 9 and 10 about the poor 
And uh, it says uh, in verse uh, verse 11, it talks about lying and, and uh, stealing. And uh, verse 12, on uh, the matter of swearing, uh, particularly swearing falsely. In uh, verse 13, it talks about fraud. Uh, verse 14, it talks about uh, you're dealing with the handicapped, incidentally. And verse 15, it talks about prejudice. 16, it talks about gossip. Uh, 17, it talks about hatred. Verse 18, it talks about revenge. Verse 19, it talks about uh, certain mixtures which had spiritual significance. In verse 20, it talks about morals. In verse 21, it talks about provision for trespass that God has made. In verses 23 to 25, it talks about uh, the uncircumcised uh, and uh, the particular problems there. Uh, verse 26 it deals with the matter of blood. It even talks about, in verse 27, about how you're supposed to shave. Uh, in verse 28, it talks about tattoos. In verse 29, it talks about uh, uh, your morals again. Uh, verse 30, uh, it talks about the tabernacle. Verse 31, about the occult. Verse 32, about respecting the elderly. Verse 34, about loving strangers. Verse 35 to 37, it talks about honesty. Now, that's not all. Chapter 20's got a whole bunch more. There's a lot of things in these two chapters. I'll tell you, it's a tremendous text. But in verse 16, it says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Incidentally, we told you this way back at the beginning of the book of Proverbs. We want to just reiterate it. The book of Proverbs does not deal with law. The book of Proverbs refers to law a great many times. But the book of Proverbs is not laying down dictates of law. You don't find an abundance of commands in the book of Proverbs. And uh, what you find is good advice, wisdom, smart moves. Uh, we're going to see in a few weeks here, if we get to it, um, about the matter of being surety for a stranger. Well, now, Scripture does not strictly forbid being surety for a stranger. It just tells you you're dumb if you do it. That's, that's the idea. And, uh, and so you have a difference between the Proverbs and the, all of the wisdom literature and, uh, and the, the law. And what you, what you, that's one of the reasons we do so much cross-referencing. Because there are some things that are strictly forbidden in Scripture and there are others that, where God just says if you do them, you're dumb. Okay? And in the book of Proverbs you have a lot of that. And so you can't make law out of the book of Proverbs, but you can realize what's smart and what's dumb, all right? And so when you find something like the matter of tailbearing, uh, it's dumb. It's really dumb to be a tailbearer, all right? But what is it strictly forbidden? Well, the way you find out is look at the law. Look at the New Testament. Look wherever you find the, the uh, commands of Christ in the New Testament or the commands of Moses in the Old Testament. Find out what God's attitude is toward this matter. God tells us in His Word, it is sin. It is wrong to be a talebearer. Notice, thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer. And there's our word. Uh, and it's a word that means a spreader of scandal. You do not spread scandal. You're not a part of the problem, part of the solution, then for goodness sakes, keep your mouth shut. Now you talk to people that are not a part of the problem or part of the solution. You're wrong. You go about talking to people that cannot really contribute help in the situation. A lot of people uh, do tail bearing by prayer requests. They have, are privy to some information about another person. They meet together with a bunch of other people and they say, I have a real burden on my heart. Did you know that Mrs. So-and-so did thus and so? Oh, really? Tell me more, you know. 
got to better pray about it. Well, you know, even even talking about that kind of information that is uh, in a form of a prayer request is wrong because you're like a tailbearer going up and down among the people. That's perfectly fine to have an unspoken prayer request. To say to people, I have a friend that's got a need. I want you to pray about it. And I don't want to share the intimate details, but I want you to just pray with me about this individual. You don't cast any aspersions, and it's just as effective. I admit that there's, val there's value to specific prayer. And I think that if you have information that is public, then it's already known, and it's known to be known. And everyone in the church knows about it. Well, then you can say, let's pray for Mrs. Jones because you know that she has done thus and so and uh, she needs our prayers right now and our, our, our encouragement and our help at this particular time. So understand what I'm saying? There's a tremendous difference between those two things. But there's an awful lot of secrets that are told at a prayer meeting. You have to be careful. Scripture forbids tail-bearing. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tail-bearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor and notice the, the, the basis of this. I am the Lord, it says. Remember, God's in charge. He'll bring to light the hidden things. He will hold every man accountable. God's going to take care of it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You don't have to. You don't have to get even with someone by talking about them. The tragedy is that the average person who talks negatively about another person wants to make himself look good by making them look bad. That generally is the motivation down deep in the heart and, and not a sincere concern for the person at all. But because if that was true, you would bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You would, you would go to such an one to restore such an one. You would follow the steps of church discipline with the end in view of bringing about restoration. You would not, you would not uh, do it in any vindictive way. You, wouldn't, uh, you, would, you would not even go to them in the steps of church discipline simply to get even with them. Simply to get back at them. Because that is not in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now look, if you will, at Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. And verse 28. Now, it's interesting to me to note that in the book of Jeremiah, as in the book of Isaiah, we are dealing with tremendously gross sin. We are dealing with idolatry of the worst kind. We're dealing with child sacrifice, offering your children to Moloch. You are dealing with, with blasphemies against God. Tremendous things. And yet, in the midst of it all, God has His prophet speak out on these things, of course, but also to speak out on what we would consider little things, like gossip. Just little things like gossip. It says, in talking about the daughter of my people and telling them to fall into bitter lamentation, it says in verse 28, they are all grievous revolters. They're rebellious. God hates rebellion of any sort and any kind. 
Now, mind you, that's a good word for us in this day and age where there's so much rebellion. God does not want people to rebel. And really one of the fruits of worshiping something other than God is a rebellious spirit. You can't worship God and have a rebellious spirit. Well, we're not talking about rebellion right now. What's the next phrase we want? Walking with slanders. There you are. A gossip. A talebearer. The walking about with slanders. One of the evidence of an apostate people is the ones who go around gossiping. And if that's any kind of a gauge whereby we can tell the spiritual life of people, we must have really slipped in our churches today. Because people think nothing about all spreading all kinds of gossip and all kinds of rumor. And that says, goes on and says they are bronze and iron. That would mean that they, the, the idea of their hardness and impenetrable hearts. And they are all corruptors and so on and so forth. God's just speaking out against their wickedness and their sin. But he mentioned specifically this matter of walking about with slanders. You'd think with all of the other bad stuff that God wouldn't have time for this stuff, would you? But he does. Because God hates slanders. Look at chapter 9 of Jeremiah. In verse 4. Jeremiah is weeping over the people. Running out of tears, literally. And he says in verse 4, verse 3, actually, uh, first they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, says the Lord. Now look, take heed every one of his neighbor, and trust not in thy brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders, and they will deceive everyone his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. You see what he's saying there? He's saying that, that because of the apostasy of the people, the day comes where you can't trust anybody. You'll find that, the, that you share a secret, a burden with another brother, and uh, he turns right around and uses it for slander against you so that you can't trust anybody. It's interesting because in the New Testament church, there was that implicit trust, that intimate fellowship. I've been working on... A series for Wednesday night on the matter of fellowship. And I'm just so impressed with the, the intercourse that there was in relationships in the New Testament church. And the, the tremendous kinship, the brotherhood, the, the concept of being fellows together and sharing in common. And I think that, that there was a real openness in the early church where, where one could share with another without fear that it would be misused. But you see, our day is so much the opposite that, that people are afraid to, to be themselves and open themselves and, and share the burden of their heart simply because uh, if they do that, sooner or later it burns them. So they're afraid to tell anybody. They're afraid to follow through in, in, in even confronting a brother because it turns right around uh, and brings a, a vindictive spirit. And God doesn't want that. He wants an openness of heart. I... I've told you before, I just mentioned it again, that uh, a friend of mine by the name of Harold Germain was a missionary with Sudan Interior Mission. 
and uh, he was in Africa, and they, they, uh, uh, there was an area of Africa that had perpetual revival for uh, more than 50 years. 50 years. I mean, there was just a constant outbreak of, of a move of the Spirit of God in, uh, uh, in that place. God used different people over a period of time to, to, to bring forth a new move of the Spirit. And uh, when, when uh, the, the mission was aware, of course, of this going on, but they had heard that, uh, that there was even more blessing than ever before, and they asked Harold if, if he would, on his way home, uh, back to the States, if he would go by this area, and if he would see, uh, just as an observer, what, uh, what would happen, uh, what had happened in this area to, to perpetuate this revival. If you understand, most revival... Uh, that breaks out is short-lived, and um, so Harold st uh, uh, came there. They asked him if he would share. He stood up to speak, and God anointed him in a special way. And there was tremendous outpouring of blessing. He stayed there a considerable amount of time. God used him to help perpetuate the revival. And uh, when he finally escaped, <laughs> when he finally got out of there, he came back with a heart of flame uh, in terms of what God could do. And, uh, and I'll never forget Harold sharing that there were three specific things that were the mark of the African revival. And the three things were, number one, brokenness. Brokenness. A broken and contrite heart I will not despise. Grown men who are not ashamed to weep before the Lord. And uh, uh, whenever someone would, would sin, and I, I uh, remember him sharing how uh, sin would come to the attention of the leaders of the church. And uh, they would immediately fall on their knees and begin weeping before the Lord because that brother had sinned, considering themselves lest they also be tempted, even as in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. And so there was a brokenness. And this was a continued thing uh, that no one allowed their heart to get hard but rather uh, just uh, had a broken spirit and were willing not to fake it, but with an honest, honest brokenness before the Lord, a, a sensitivity to sin so that there was no, there was no, uh, no thought of uh, 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 tolerating any kind of sin in their midst. And then secondly, there was a oneness. There was a unity. It didn't make any difference whether a person was Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist or ba Methabaptist or Prestigationalist. They, they, they had no axe to grind. They were, they were united that the Word of God was true and uh, they, they refused to be sidetracked over peripheral issues. And uh, uh, they, they guarded the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And there was a, there was a tenacious guarding of that of that tremendous unity that God has made and that we're to guard. And they did that. And they did it uh, uh, very, very faithfully. But the third thing was openness. And I, I was so impressed with hearing this because Harold shared the fact that, that when you're on the mission field, there is a, a great barrier that arises between the native and the missionary. Uh, the missionary is esteemed. He's put on a pedestal. 
And uh, there, is, uh, there, there is a community of missionaries and there's the community of the natives and uh, never shall the twain meet uh, because the natives are, 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 are the low caste, if you please. And uh, it's not that the missionary really tries to make it that way. That's just the way it is on most mission fields. And he said in this particular place there was no such distinction. That a, a, a native felt free to come to the missionary and say, Brother, I detected anger in your heart today. I detected an impatience. And instead of there being a resentment on the part of the missionary, who are you to tell me that I'm impatient? There was a brokenness of spirit. And the two brothers would kneel down and confess their sin before the Lord with their arms around each other. And there was no barrier there at all. There was an openness. There was a transparency. Where people could be what people were intended to be, open and honest with one another. But you see, in the midst of that, there was always the danger. A danger that we eschew today, a danger of someone misusing the information. A man would say, yeah, I, I remember again the Harold sharing that a, a native would come to a missionary and, and would say, Brother, I, I, noticed, I noticed the... Uh, the anger in your heart. Um, what's wrong? And the missionary would say to the native, Oh, anger isn't the worst of my problems. I think the anger was just an evidence of this. And then he would share what was really going on in his heart. Not sharing it uh, in, a, in a wrong way, but sharing it out of a burden that, that he wanted to be helped in this area. And he would share his heart with this brother. They would kneel down and they would pray about that and meet God on the issue. And that perpetuated the revival. You see, one of the, one of the tragedies of our day is that we have become so accustomed to violating Scripture that we do not allow for that kind of thing to happen in the church of Jesus Christ. Because we, we, we misuse information and we do that and we do that very often, and we, I'm afraid churches do this all too often. The result is that everybody clams up. I don't want to share myself with you, not only because I don't want to be vulnerable, but because I'm not really sure I can trust you. That's a sign of apostasy. And it shows you how we have considered normal something that God says is indescribably low. Because we don't think anything anymore of just uh, sharing information with other people and talking about other people and being a talebearer. You see, if we, if we are that way, the book of Proverbs tells us it's simply a demonstration of the lack of character. Ezekiel chapter 22. I better get off this before it starts getting convicting. I'm so convicted. I think I, we ought to all go to our knees, right? Ezekiel 22. And verse 9. In thee. Notice, in thee. Again, the chapter 22 is a list of sins that sounds like a violation of Leviticus 19 and 20. You got uh, 
dozens of sins listed in Leviticus 19 and 20. You come to uh, Ezekiel 22, and you got about all of them listed here. And it says uh, um, in verse 7, uh, you have set light by father and mother. You don't respect your parents. In the midst of thee have they dealt by oppression with a sojourner. You're supposed to love strangers, but you don't. In thee have they vexed the fatherless and the widow. They've picked on uh, the, the helpless. Thou hast despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. No respect for God's word, for God's uh, uh, house, for God's law. And then it says in verse 9, In thee are men that carry tales to shed blood. They carry tales to shed blood. They, they, they are slanderers with an intent to, to harm, to, with an intent to hurt. They know if they say the right thing, they'll provoke a jealousy. And that jealousy will then provoke someone to take the life of the other person. And they are wicked. And they are sinful in the sight of God. Go back to Proverbs chapter 20. And uh, verse 19. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth his, with his lips. Now there's some good sense for you. You got a guy that's buttering up to you and uh, being uh, overly flattering. Oh, you're so wonderful. Be careful of such a person because a second characteristic of the talebearer is he not only slanders his neighbor, but he flatters with his lips because that's a means of getting more information. And so therefore, he is the kind of person that reveals secrets. So be careful with how you who you associate with and uh, what uh, his habits and his character really is. So we're dealing here with with someone who is a gossip but more than a gossip, one who is is going around with a, a bitterness in his own tongue that he is sharing with other people. Now in Proverbs 17 and verse 9 it says, "He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Again, that's not the covering of sin in the sense that you're hiding something that, that needs to be dealt with. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall receive mercy. It's not a matter of covering your sin. It's a matter of properly dealing with the sin of the other person. He that covereth a transgression, that is, doesn't gossip about it, seeks love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth friends. And you can do that. You can do that very skillfully. You can break friendships between people by saying the well-chosen words about the other individual. Proverbs 18 and verse 8. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost hearts. You'll never know. You'll never know uh, what... Uh, uh, what a, a talebearer can do to wound the other person. You'll never, the talebearer himself will never know how deep the wound really is. Incidentally, in Proverbs 17:9 and 18:8 uh, 8 and 26:20, which we're going to look at now, it's a different word for talebearer. A different word. 
And we'll uh, be studying that word later on, but uh, just suffice it to uh, say that it's a different word here. Proverbs 20. Where no wood is, the fire goeth out. Understand that? You throw a log in your fireplace, and then toward the end of the evening, you don't throw any more logs on the fireplace. That's very elementary, isn't it? The fire goes out, right? Okay. So where there is no tail bear, the strife ceaseth. You pull the tail bear out of the picture. The person who gossips, the person who talks about other people, you pull him out of the picture. What happens? Strife ceases. The wisdom that's from beneath brings strife, according to James. The wisdom which was from above, first of all pure, then peaceable, easy to be entreated, full of good, good works. It is peaceable. It makes for peace. It makes for reconciliation. But the wisdom that's from beneath leads to all kinds of envy and strife. It's of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's wrong. And so therefore, pull the tail bearer out of the situation. And often you can do that with a rebuke. He'll run, run if you start doing that. So look at verse 21. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. You've got a contentious individual, one that wants to make a contest out of everything. That man will kindle strife. So then in verse 22, it says the words of a talebearer are like wounds. They go down into the innermost parts. Again, that idea of hurting people with talebearing. Look over at uh, Psalm 101. Psalm 101. And verse 5. Whoso secretly slandereth his neighbor... Him will I cut off. Here's a man now that wants to do right. Now, this is a psalm of David. and It's a good psalm to study, by the way, because it's, it's really a psalm that talks about what a godly man is all about. And um, if you look at the beginning... It says, "I will sing of the mercy and justice, or sing of mercy and justice unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. No wicked thing before my eyes. That, that's a good word for television, isn't it? Okay, I hate." the work of those who turn aside. It shall not cling to me. I hate the work of those who turn aside. Those that are not walking in God's way and God's will and God's word. I hate them. And uh, I sh it shall not cling to me. I'm not going to pick up their ways. I'm not going to pick up their habits. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. I won't associate with them. Whoso secretly slandeth his neighbor, him will I cut off. If I have someone in my house, someone who is in my employ, someone who has a relationship with me, and I discover that such an individual is going about slandering his neighbor, talking about other people, I'll cut him off. He can't be my friend. Not if he's going to do that. Imagine what would happen in Valley Church 
if uh, you'd be sitting there and you'd start talking about some other individual or someone would start talking to you and you would say to them, I'm sorry, you have just destroyed our friendship. I can't be your friend. Oh, why, why can't you be my friend? Well, because you're slandering. And I've purposed before the Lord as a part of my holy and godly life that I will not tolerate a slanderer. Boy, that'd change the disposition of things around here in a hurry, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to do that more than once or twice. It would stop slandering. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not tolerate. These are the people you're going to associate with. Well, you're going to cut down your friendships. Somebody says, I've got too many friends anyway. Well, <clears throat> you won't have too many when you start cutting these people off. People that display pride. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, and they may, that they may walk with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. Never let a liar in the door. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Whoo! Oh, that's a mark of a holy man. Really something else, isn't it? Look at Proverbs 11 and verse 9. Remember this word? An hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just or the righteous be delivered. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse man, upside-down man, tapuka, the man who has an upside-down mind or an upside-down heart, such an individual sows strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Look in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. And verse 11. For we hear that there are some who walk among you disorderly. Ah, taktas. It's a word that means out of rank. Ah is the negative. Taktas meant a military file, a military rank. It was the idea of marching soldiers. And the negative simply means out of rank, out of step. And it says there's some of you who are out of step. Now watch what being out of step in this context means. The participle describes. It says working not at all but are busybodies. Now that is an interesting word. P-E-R-I-E-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. Paragazomai. It means to work around. It means to, to waste labor by bustling about in other, other people's business. What had happened, these people uh, were, were looking for the coming of the Lord. Like that, you know. Except they really weren't. They, they, they were saying, what's the sense of holding a job? What's the sense of working? 
Because after all, the Lord's going to come. And so they weren't working. And Paul sets down the dictate. If they don't work, they don't eat. Which is a very good welfare program. And uh, if they won't work, they don't eat. That's it. Well, anyway, so, so here's the person not working at all. But what he is doing with all of this time on his hands is bustling about after other people's business. Sticking their nose in other people's business. There's a word for it over in, uh, in 1 Peter. And uh, well, we're going to look at it in a minute. I just checked my notes to see if I had that verse down. I do. So we'll see it in a minute. But it's a, it's a, it's a different word that uh, means literally stick your nose in other people's business. But this is a word that means to work around. It means just being where you shouldn't be, knowing what you shouldn't know, talking about what you shouldn't be talking about. And instead of, of working hard, you see, if a, if, a guy, if a guy is busy doing his job, being a father in, in the home, or a student, as the case may be, or a housewife, if you're talking to a group of gals, and at the same time, properly using his time in serving the Lord in the local church. He does not have time to gossip. It's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul suggested that young widows marry. Because if they don't marry, and they don't have, uh, have a family, they, are, they are, would be prone to go from house to house. See, the thing is that a gal can spend a lot of time keeping her home nice, and being a good wife and all the rest today and still go house to house by the telephone and do the same thing. So you got to be careful. It's a matter of proper use of the time. We've got so many uh, labor-saving devices today. Gals, I don't know how gals would ever get anything done in old days, you know. If you all of a sudden tomorrow had to go back to the old washing machine and all of the rest, these poor gals wouldn't know what to do because they've got all these labor-saving devices. But they, there's the tendency when you've got leisure time to use it improperly. And the improper use of leisure time is the matter of gossip. There's a tremendous danger that people fall into gossip. So they're working not at all but are busybodies. Then it says, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ. Strong admonition here. That with quietness, with tranquility... That's a tranquility from within that causes no disturbance on the outside. That's the word that's used here. Uh, that they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word in this epistle, note that man, have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You've got to be careful that you balance the admonition with the no company dictate here. 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 5, verse 13. This is the text we mentioned a moment ago. And besides, if they are young widows and they don't marry, uh, it says that uh, besides they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers or, or babblers also, and busybodies. Busybodies. The word means to, again, to work around, uh, to, to work beyond your boundaries, if you please. Going outside of the uh, knowledge that you should be privy to. Busybodies. Speaking things which they ought not. First Peter 
1 Peter 4.15 But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in another, other men's matters. It, it, the word is allotrio episkopos. Episkopos is the word that is often uh, uh, translated overseer, and that's really what the word means. It means to, this word, allotrio episkopos, means to make oneself an overseer over other men's matters. You make it your business to know the business of other people. That's the idea. And whereas we're told that there are to be, that it's a good thing to desire the office of an, of an episcopos, of a bishop or a, an overseer. It is a good thing to do that. You are not to be a self-appointed bishop, overseer, over everybody else's business. Keep your nose out of other people's business. And it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting text. Because, because it's, it's basically saying this. There are two kinds of suffering. This is chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 of 1 Peter. This is the basic thrust of those chapters. Although there's a lot of other good things in there as well. And here's the picture. There is deserved suffering. And there is undeserved suffering. And the undeserved suffering comes when you do the right thing. And suffer for it. And God says in such a case he allows you to be a demonstration of his grace. That's clear back in chapter 2. And it says that when you suffer for righteousness sake, you are called to such suffering. Okay? When he gets into chapter 4, he uses, what is, which is an incomplete fourth class condition, where he, he says, uh, if any man suffer as a Christian, verse 16. And the, the idea of the fourth class condition is, I really wish you were. But you're probably not. And it expresses a hope. It expresses a wish. And, and so what he's saying is, if you're doing the right thing and suffering for it, praise the Lord. And he makes clear in the text, you are going to do that. And later on down the line, particularly because they were on the brink of Nero's great persecution, later on down the line, you are going to be suffering. Because you're Christians. But at the present time, I'm afraid that the suffering that you're suffering is not suffering because you're doing the right thing, but rather deserves suffering. And he's talked about it already in verse 15. He says, if, a, if an individual kills someone and uh, they prosecute him and throw him in jail and maybe even execute him, don't say you're suffering for Jesus' sake. You did the wrong thing. You got what you deserved. And God will forgive it, but for goodness sakes, don't blame God for it. Okay? And uh, if you're a thief, same thing. If you're an evildoer, if you're doing the wrong thing. Now you see, that the two things that he said previous were extremes. Now he's getting right down where they are. I can hear them say, Amen. You know, nobody in the congregation's murdered anybody lately. So he says, if you suffer as a murderer... You get what you deserve. Amen, brother. Amen. Paul did this all the time. You read his text. He gets amens going. And uh, it's really tricky. Sneaky. He says, any of you suffer as a murderer? Get what you deserve. Amen. Anybody suffer as a thief? Amen. Okay. Anybody suffer as an evildoer? Amen. Anybody suffer because they gossiped about someone else? 
stuck their nose in someone else's business. Now, wait a minute, preacher. You've quit preaching and gone to meddling now. See? That's what he did. He built it from the top right down and hit them right where they were. Most of those people hadn't gone around murdering anybody. This was a church. These were Christian people. Or churches scattered around the country. Jewish church. And uh, he's, he's hitting them with both barrels. They didn't murder anybody. They didn't rob anybody. They didn't even consider what they'd done evil doing, although Paul has defined that elsewhere in the same chapters. But they knew what he meant when he said, busybody in other men's matters. Stick in your nose where it doesn't belong. He says, if you suffer for that, listen, you'd get what you deserve. And then he uses this it's rather vague and it can't be really dogmatic about it because it's, it's not a complete fourth class condition. It's the closest thing we have in the New Testament on this condition. But it, it certainly has the elements with one missing. The elements of what you look for in a fourth class condition. And it, it, so what he seems to be saying is, I wish that you were suffering as Christians. I wish the suffering that was coming upon you at the present moment was like the suffering which is going to come later on. I wish that you were doing the right thing. He'd been talking to employees. And he said, if you obey your boss and do everything he says, and he fires you anyway, then God will give you tremendous grace in that situation. Because you're suffering for doing the right thing. But he says, I wish you were doing that, but I'm afraid you're not. And the logical conclusion is that they were guilty of gossip. And because they were guilty of gossip, there was suffering that had come to them. And they were condemned because they were an allotrio episcopos. So what it says is, if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You can glorify God, and you can say, I'm suffering for Jesus' sake, if you are suffering as a Christian. But then he says in verse 17, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God and if it first begin at us what shall the end of, the, of them be that obey not the gospel and if the righteous scarcely be saved where shall the ungodly and sinner appear wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator but don't you dare gossip about somebody and break a friendship and be shut out and then go around saying, oh, I'm just suffering because I'm such a fine Christian. Don't you dare do that. I'll tell you something, if you stick your nose to someone else's business and somebody steps on it, you have a sore nose and you got what you deserved, shame on you. Get on your knees and repent. 1 Peter 2.1 1 Peter 2.1 Wherefore, see this is how he starts this little routine about the whole matter of undeserved and deserved suffering. Wherefore, laying aside, like you would dirty clothes, all malice and all guile, dolon means to catch with bait, all, all uh, deceit, all hypocrisies, play acting, all envies. That's, uh, envy is, is feeling displeasure when someone else succeeds and you don't. And all evil speaking. Put it all away. And as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by it. 
the Word of God is, is uh, desirable. It tells us it is durable. It tells us in the chapter before, the last few verses. But the thing that people often forget is that the Word of God is also demanding. And here God says, my Word's going to endure forever. And he says, desire the sincere milk of the word. But in between, he says, you put away certain things that are not consistent with my word. Listen, we've got no business bearing tales, talking about other people, gossiping, slandering. Don't be a Raquel, a tale bearer. Now, we'll get into the rest of this verse next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we've learned this morning. We pray that you would just help us to take these things and to go from here today and to check our lips. We pray that every time today we begin to talk about another person, every time we open our lips, to share with somebody uh, information that we are privy to that really should not be repeated because the person to whom we're speaking is not part of the problem or part of the solution. We pray that you'll bring it to our mind and cause us to control our tongue. Tame our tongue by your Holy Spirit. Help us not to use it for evil, but rather use it for good. In that tongue, we know, Lord, there's great power for blessing or cursing. Help us to use it wisely. Help us to be good stewards of our time. Help us to be busy today, doing the thing that we ought to do. If we suffer for righteousness' sake, the glory in you. If we suffer because we are doing wrong, we got what we deserved. Help us to use that opportunity as an opportunity to repent and get right with you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen.